This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, there are game plans, and then there are plans for after the game. That's my intro to Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, yours truly, Pauly Podcast. Andy Reid, at least, has the wherewithal to think about his plan after the game, where in the event of victory, gentlemen, he he does have plans to have a double cheeseburger waiting for him at the ready in the coach's office following Super Bowl 55, in the event of a victory. Now, (laughs) I throw to you guys on the fly here. If indeed you were to mark a major milestone career achievement in your life, what sort of meal and or snack would be waiting for you upon completion of their said achievement? Darren, go. Mm, That's a hard one, Paul. See, because when you first brought this up offline, I was thinking if, if the Cardinals won the Super Bowl, and I kept thinking back to how busy it is right after the game for somebody like me, who's trying to get some stuff done and just going to the party afterwards and, you know, grabbing whatever hors d'oeuvres were there and definitely a few adult beverages. Uh, so, but I, I exposed to, hmm, you know, I, I, I we'll buy you some time, Darren, Kyle, right. what about you? I go with some ceviche and a couple of fish tacos and then Dos Equis or two or three with some lime in it. Sounds like a pretty perfect meal. I feel like he's been thinking about this. He told us beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, note to self. Uh, From now on, I truly am going to bust it on you guys without actually giving hint to to it earlier. You know what? Thanks for asking. I would probably, (laughs) if it was a Super Bowl victory, I would probably go with a chocolate malt. And you're thinking, okay. uh, But... Here's the kicker on this. As someone who's highly lactose intolerant, and I don't admit that to just anyone, uh, (laughs) undertaking a a big chocolate malt uh, would mean paying for it for at least three or four days. So, you know, I would enjoy it. Um, There were a price to be paid, but in the event of a Super Bowl victory and a forthcoming Super Bowl ring on my finger, a chocolate malt, something I haven't done in a good two decades plus, would be worth it at that moment. See, meals, I guess, I guess in the end, for me, meals just aren't that big of a deal. If there was a good pizza there, that's fine. I don't think I would really do steak. Actually, Kyle's uh, suggestion sounds pretty good to me, some tacos. So I would be all right with that. All right. Who do you have, Darren, by the way? Are, are you going with Coach Double Cheeseburger? What, what is your where, – where are you leaning right now, Super Bowl 55? I, I just – I think ultimately it's uh, – as great as Tom Brady has been, it's really hard to – to go against Patrick Mahomes for me right now, especially with Andy Reid with two weeks to plan. Uh, but I do expect a really good game. And I do think that Tom Brady can be an equalizer, but as we saw what he did in the second half against the Packers, um, 
he's not infallible. And uh, I, I just I feel like Patrick Mahomes is as close to infallible as, as you can get with a quarterback right now. Kyle, I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes, but I will bet against his offensive line. And if they're missing both tackles and you're looking at a Tampa defense and a front seven and those edge rushers who have been highly successful, I have the Buccaneers by a field goal. Who you got? Yeah, I can see that, man. I, I can't pick against the Chiefs, like Darren said. I think the goal fit quarterback is just too big. Um, but I do agree that the Bucs have a really solid team, that their defense is good. Todd Bowles is such an excellent defensive coordinator, and I think he's going to do some things that maybe um, you know the Chiefs aren't going to completely expect. But at the end of the day, when you have Patrick Mahomes in his prime, arguably on pace to be the best quarterback of all time against Tom Brady, who right now has that mantle, but being 43, he's not in his prime anymore. So I think that goal fit quarterback is just too big for Tampa Bay to overcome. How about Tyreek Hill against Scotty Miller? If they, you know, if that were to come <laughs> off at halftime, who, who do you have in that one, Darren? Come on now. I mean, first of all, uh, I know that the Super Bowl halftime is lengthy. Uh, we all know the stories of Russ Grimm wandering out to watch a little Bruce Springsteen at halftime of the Cardinal Super Bowl, but uh, I don't know if there's quite enough time to uh, actually run a race, and especially when you're talking about two key offensive players uh, burning up some energy running a, a race, but it was a fascinating idea. And no, I am absolutely not going against the guy that everybody refers to as the cheetah uh, in terms of a, 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 a race. Well, when he mentioned that he's run track at a very high level, I wasn't truly familiar with his background. He's run against Olympians before. I mean, I'm all for the feel-good story in Scotty Miller, but it didn't, didn't seem like Tyreek Hill was sweating Scotty Miller too much. I mean, Tyreek Hill looks like he's in high school, the star athlete in high school against, you know, all those kids that are just happy to be on the field. The way he pulls away from guys, you just don't see that in the NFL, and, and Tyreek Hill does it with his speed, so – I would not take anybody in the NFL to beat him in a race. I think when you talk about, you know, ability to get away from people, Tariq Cohen is maybe in that type of thing. When you talk about getting out of a phone booth and not being touched type thing, but elite speed, I don't think Tyreek Hill has a peer. You know, when you're field level, okay. And I've been doing the Cardinals sideline for what, 16 years now, when you're field level, when somebody really stands out in terms of size or speed, on an NFL field, they're an absolute freak. Like Calais Campbell in the huddle at six foot eight. Okay, you know he's the point zero one percent. And I remember it was two years ago, Cardinals were at the Chiefs, right, guys? Two years ago. Yeah. And when Tyreek Hill at a full sprint on a jet sweep came roaring towards the Cardinals sideline, and they tossed it to him full speed on that jet sweep, and he turned the corner. And I mean, the the speed was breathtaking. And to do that in an NFL field where everybody virtually has elite speed, uh, it was that was impressive. You're right, Kyle. When, when to do that among other NFL athletes, that's where you know you're truly the exception. Um, by the way, my Bruce Springsteen Super Bowl story. Thanks for asking on that one as well. Uh, it was a uh, halftime, and in Super Bowl 43, I knew the boss was going to be up on stage, and so I immediately jumped up on the Cardinals bench at halftime because that's where all the photographers were going to get a little elevated angle to shoot Bruce Springsteen and the boss. Did and that help much, these, Paul? What's that? Did that help you much? Well, uh, Darren, any sort of lift helps me, believe me. You know, uh, could I have used another milk box on top of the bench? Uh, I'm, I'll neither confirm nor deny that. 
But I will say that I had a coveted spot on that bench and there were like three still photographers who was musical chairs and they didn't get a spot. And they did everything except physically rip me off the bench to try because they thought that spot belonged to them. I said, absolutely not. I'm doing the radio halftime show right here, standing on this bench while watching the boss. So just get off me, buddy, and keep moving. Keep walking. I was wondering if that is that one of those uh, famous fights that Wolf always talks about you having, Paul, the throwdown <laughs> you had with a broken beer bottle? No, he wanted to. If I would have got off that bench, he probably would have thrown blows, you know, but uh, but other guys uh, would have been, there were too many cameras around because that's why I was flanked by that. So maybe that saved me. I'm not exactly sure. Darren, when you think back to that Super Bowl and everything that went in that and the fact that Bruce Arians was on the opposite sideline, yeah, uh, you know, how about just the fact that between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and he's won two Super Bowls, albeit as an assistant, just the experience factor. Now, I know the Chiefs are the defending champs, but you know, they don't have that advantage where a typical Super Bowl champion, not when Tom Brady and Bruce Arians are on the other sideline. I mean, ultimately, I, the Tom Brady thing is the thing that it's really difficult to, to kind of quantify at this point. Um, I think everybody feels like the Buccaneers wouldn't be here if they didn't have Tom Brady as their quarterback. Uh, so that, that's at least gotten them here. Um, now, does it translate all the way through – a victory Sunday, I, I think is, is going to be fascinating to watch. Now I agree with what you've already said, which is if the Buccaneers win, it's going to be because uh, it's going to be that the, the mirror of, of why uh, actually Brady lost uh, the undefeated Patriots year uh, at uh, then university of Phoenix stadium. Now state farm stadium is because the giants were able to get a four man pass rush. And I think if, the Buccaneers can get that kind of pass rush on Patrick Mahomes. I think that's what gives uh, the Bucs the best chance to win, not necessarily because Tom Brady's back there, but I can't, for all the great quarterback matchups we've had over the years uh, in the Super Bowl, and you usually have some pretty good ones, um, even looking back historically, uh, they become, you know, Hall of Famers versus Hall of Famers. I can't remember one that quite had this this to it you know obviously Brady was just as good a few years ago and he's going against Russell Wilson who was a really good quarterback at the time but that was a little bit before Russell Wilson really hit that next level in terms of how people saw him as elite um, but I mean the assumption right now is that Patrick Mahomes is the one guy who could give Tom Brady's legacy a run for its money by the time this is all over and to have him be able to play Tom Brady when Brady is still playing at a very high level this is not Peyton Manning in his final Super Bowl by any stretch of the imagination I, I think just really I, I'm so looking forward to this game. How about Tony Romo's take that this will be the most important game of Patrick Mahomes' career. No matter what else he does going forward, this will have the most gravity to it because if he wins, he prevents Tom Brady from getting yet another Super Bowl ring and he puts himself that much closer to Brady. But if he loses, obviously the gap grows that much wider and it's a gap that's unattainable if you're going to try and match Brady career-wise, all-time-wise in terms of Super Bowl rings. So no pressure at all, Patrick Mahomes. Just if you're going to have a 15-year career, 20-year career, this could be the game, uh, the biggest game of your career, just based on that sort of impact on your career legacy? I don't think it's unattainable. I mean, if Patrick Mahomes goes out and, and throws for 
375 yards and three touchdowns, but he loses, that's that's not his fault. I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes is the most singularly great talent that the NFL has ever seen. And I think if he doesn't get hurt and he continues on this trajectory, I mean, he's he's his stats are unbelievable. And I understand it's a different era from what old quarterbacks used to do, but even present day, the things he does compared to everybody else is just special. And I think, I think he's on that path to being the greatest quarterback ever. And we'll see if he can continue it. We'll see if injuries play a factor because they often do, but I don't think this one game matters that much. I mean, you, you talk about entire careers and I personally don't get caught up in championships because Brady won a couple based on the defense, not because of him. And, you know, if, if Malcolm Butler doesn't intercept the pass, Brady doesn't win a championship. It's not all about quarterbacks winning Super Bowls just because of them. So I think statistically, Patrick Mahomes has been great already. If he continues to do, do it, to do this, I think he'll be the best quarterback of all time. You know, I see these, the final four quarterbacks in the two championship games and, and I see quarterback, but I also wonder, I go one step further and I see the culture each one creates. When you hear Bruce Arians give such props and praise to Tom Brady as being the identity of the Tampa team and, and really being that culture inside the locker room, a lot of times I'd write that off as media speak, but we've seen it ourselves. We've seen it with Kurt Warner. We saw him come in and basically hit the reset button and establish culture, a winning culture in the Cardinals. We saw Carson Palmer do that. And whether it's Aaron Rodgers or, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, though, he's so young at age 25. Is Do you think that the Chiefs, to a certain degree, are feeding off that sort of culture that Mahomes might provide without even knowing it? Or is he strictly doing it on talent at this point? Is it just talent, whereas a 43-year-old is doing it with both the ability and the ability to lead in that locker room. It's sort of a, a two-pronged approach for a Brady and his formula for success. And to a certain degree, Aaron Rodgers holding everyone accountable. And, and LaFleur talked about that here just recently in the season wrap-up with the Packers. But with Mahomes, I look at him, and I really don't know exactly what his leadership quotient is behind the scenes. I'm more inclined to say he is the exception. He's the guy who is on the verge of getting a second straight Super Bowl ring, and he's just doing it through sheer talent. What do you think, Darren? I mean – I would, I think it's a little both. I mean, let's face it, when Patrick Mahomes joined the Chiefs uh, for his rookie year, they won, I think, 11 games. Andy Reid was already the coach. I mean, there was already a winning culture there. Um, but I do think there's, I think there is something to him being a leader. Now, I, you know, I, I fight this all the time uh, because I do believe in some intangibles, uh, with these guys. I do believe in, in leadership. I do believe in wanting to follow a guy and fight for a guy. And I just feel like Patrick Mahomes is as talented as he is. I do think he has that kind of personality, but I also think that when you're a great player, it's a lot easier to want to fight for a guy. Uh, now there, there are always exceptions to this rule. I mean, if you're a total jerk, um, I don't care how good you play, it's going to be hard for your teammates to to try and back you um but you can be the greatest leader in the world and if you perform like a mediocre quarterback it's not going to matter and so you know I think it's all wed together I don't think you can be a great leader unless you're a great player in the first place so it's I guess I kind of look at it that way now you you make no bones and you've been saying it for a good year plus 
you think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in NFL history? At least that's where it's tracking. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he started better than any quarterback ever has. And it is tough to compare eras and you have to look at different things like in baseball, baseball is great because they have statistics that you can kind of average out depending on the era, the dead ball era, when the mound was heightened and lowered. And you can kind of come to a consensus about what it meant back then with their war metric and football. You don't really have that. So it's, I don't want to say it like a hundred percent because I'd have to really consider what it meant to be a quarterback in the seventies and eighties and nineties and, and the early two thousands. But with the way he's played and the team success that's come with the individual success, it's hard to argue with this start to his career. And going back to the other argument, I don't, I don't really care as much about leadership. I mean, Michael Jordan was a huge jerk and nobody loved him. And that team won six titles in his six full seasons in a row. So I don't think you have to be a, a very beloved person to win. I think you need to be the best team and the most talented team and whether, I mean, I, I think the Bucks are really good, not because Tom Brady is this fantastic leader, but because he's still playing at a high level and look at all the talent around him. They got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and added Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. That defense has a lot of talent. I mean, sure. He's, he does things right. And the teammates look to him for guidance, but I think if Tom Brady had the Michael Jordan jerk to him, I don't think it would matter. I still think this team would be good. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying leadership equates to winning a popularity contest or, or your Q rating. In fact, it might be just the opposite. Tom Brady's known as a guy who will undress you at practice. If you drop a pass or you blow, you have a mental error. So and I guess the reason I think about that is in terms of the Cardinals and where they're at right now. And some of the games, even Kyler Murray said it this week during some of the Super Bowl interviews where you didn't know what team was coming out. Why? How do we diagnose that? If you're the Arizona Cardinals, you're the front office, you're the head coach. Okay. What are you doing about that in the offseason? What can you do about that in the offseason? Is that Tyron Matthew retweeted a clip? from all or nothing. And I, I love that clip. Love that clip. And he's in the defensive meeting room and man, he just has an impassioned speech. Do you remember what's the, where's where, where was that in, in the Cardinals season? Darren? If, I, if I recall correctly, that was after Tyron got hurt. And it was, it was basically, I think it was, was it heading into the playoffs? I think it might've been heading into the playoff game. Um, and, you know, all he could really do is be a leader at that point. And see, I, and I, 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 that's a great point to bring up because, I, I, you know, again, does that carry over when he's saying that on a Friday after practice? Is that carrying over to Sunday night or whenever the game was? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I do think there is something to it. I, I just I, there's there's too many examples to me of the best talent not winning to have it be just about the talent all the time. And, and I, I, I understand the, the Jordan thing, but then you start, then you start to me wheeling into a little bit of like, okay, now you're talking about the greatest player of all time. I can, there's, there's many gr very talented, especially in the NBA, there's very uh, incredibly talented NBA players that have never won Jack because teammates didn't like playing with them or whatever it was. And I do think that makes ultimately a difference, but um, 
you know, how much, I mean, this is stuff that can't get measured ultimately. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's why we're, we can sit here and debate it and talk about it. And none of us are wrong because there's no way you can be proven wrong or right is because you can't measure it. You, you don't know. And we're not even including the, the random crap. Like if uh, the, the, the Packers, was it the Packers uh, uh, cornerback that should have made that interception uh, on the last drive or whatever, right before the halftime, somebody oh, dropped yeah. the, the easy interception and he like sure. whipped it by like a foot when it, it should have just been a pop fly catch. And if he does that, they wipes points off the board for the Buccaneers. And then we're not even talking about Tom Brady. Then we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, did it make sense for the Packers to draft the quarterback in the first round? Cause it obviously lit a fire under his ass and he played great or did it, you know, it's one of those things. So it doesn't matter what the story is. We're going to find something to talk about and you're never really going to know the truth. By the way, you know, you're ready for the Super Bowl, and, and the media reports need to stop and let's just kick the game off when inevitably you get the story that if Patrick Mahomes had stuck with basketball, that was his best sport. Just stop it already. Just stop it. There's no other best sport beyond football for Patrick Mahomes. I don't care how talented he was on the baseball field. I don't care what he looked like in the basketball court. There was no other sport that Patrick Mahomes might have been better at than football. These guys are all legends in their own minds when you talk to them about other sports. I've heard it for years now. Oh, you should see me on the basketball court. You should see me on the baseball field. And then they go and do BP with the Diamondbacks. It's like, nah, you're, you're a good football player. You should stick to football. <laughs> Unless you're Patrick Peterson or Kyler. Omo wanted to uh, clarify. Jim Omohundra, our producer, is clarifying that that clip from Tyron was actually before he got hurt. It was right before the Sunday night uh, football game in Seattle, uh, which the Cardinals ended up winning 39-32, and Drew Stanton regaled us all with his fine dancing abilities. So just to clear that up. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a Matthew McConaughey film quote, Paul, uh, but you know, I'm doing what I can here. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't need to be uncomfortable again. Let's not go there, please. Uh, I guess that's what I mean though. When Kyler says, and in honor of Holmes, do you get the quote just right? Kyler saying, quote, you just didn't know which team you were getting with the 2020 Cardinals. That's what I wonder. What do you do about that? You can get more great players, but if there's going to be an inconsistent outcome, inconsistent, inconsistent level of intensity or effort, you know, to me, that's job number one in the offseason. But I'm not exactly sure how you go about addressing or correcting that. I don't I don't really know other than maybe maybe it does come from your quarterback taking the next step in terms of leadership. If that just is an inherent part of the position you play. I think that if you, if you get better players at wide receiver, if you fill your cornerback holes, if you get more talent, then it's not going to matter as much about the leadership thing. I think Kyler Murray is on a natural arc that you see most players. They grow from their first year to their second to their third. And everybody peaks physically around 26, 27 years old. And, and especially a quarterback from the mental side of it, they see a lot of things earlier in their careers and they naturally get better. So how much better will Kyler Murray be next season? I think that remains to be seen, but 
I don't think he's going to regress. I mean, you look at every single quarterback basically, and you look at the chart of improvement and these guys continue to get better until you read a certain, reach a certain point where there are physical limitations that start you on a downward trend. Obviously Kyler Murray is nowhere near that. So I think if you stay the course with Kyler Murray, I think he's going to get better. I think what they have to do is figure out some of the schematic issues where teams are doing certain things to them and they have to figure out a way to combat that stuff. But if they do, I'm, I'm less interested in leadership and, and the intangibles than the tangible talent and schematics where if you improve on the roster construction and if you figure out the best way to go against these defenses that now have more of a beat on what you want to do offensively, if you did that sort of thing, I think next year this team could be better. And, and here, But here's the thing that I would just quantify with that right now. When we were talking about the leadership aspect of it, we're, we're now talking, we started the conversation talking about the Super Bowl teams. I, 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 don't, I, I don't disagree that 95% of this is the talent and is the schematics and doing things right and getting the personnel around them. And then, I mean, no one, no one is going to sit here and say Deshaun Watson is a crappy quarterback because the Texans went four and 12. I mean, we can all see that he's a great quarterback and there were deficiencies in that roster and in that organization, period. Um, but when you start getting to the next level, once you get to the playoffs and you start playing when you have great talent, but the other teams have great talent, I do think some of those intangibles can come into play in terms of getting to where you want to go. Yeah, I firmly believe that's part of this offseason and, and the growth period that needs to take place with this team and, and the quarterback. But to your point, Kyle, you know who agrees with you on what you just cited? Sam Acho former Cardinals linebacker who joined us in the Big Red Rage. And one of the first things he said, because he watched a number of Cardinals games this year, and we asked him just for an overall assessment of the offense and Kyler. And one of the things he cited immediately was the need for Kyler to adjust to some of the adjustments defenses made against him. And he cited in particular the New England game and what Belichick did defensively against Kyler in that game and that a lot of teams replicated. Uh, the Lions, even in week three, you know, even after the game, Matt Patricia said, yeah, I'm not really all that inclined to share with you what our philosophy was in this game and, and that approach defensively. So, so yeah, I, I agree. That is something that in the off season, um, there's probably a lot of self-scouting going on and, and trying to realize what exactly defenses did and their adjustments. Yeah. I think that's, that's the breakthrough to me. It's not, a big jump in leadership. It's learning how to read defenses in that one and a half seconds after you receive the snap and you're looking and figuring out where that safety's dropping to, if it's cover one or cover two or cover three or what teams are trying to do against your passing game. When he gets to that level and knows where to go with the ball consistently, I think he's going to be absolutely dynamic. So I think that's really the threshold that he needs to pass. To me, it's not having everybody being with you and, and gung-ho. I feel like these guys are between 22 and, and 38 years old. Like you don't need rah-rah speeches and mantras and shirts that say something and blah, blah, blah. Like that, I don't think matters. These guys are playing for millions of dollars. If you play well, you get a contract worth millions of dollars. That's plenty of motivation in my mind. And if, the, if Kyler Murray improves on the passing game consistently, that's when this team is going to be really, really good, more so than finding the right leaders in the locker room. I just want the best players. So yeah, if you do reach the playoffs, every team is more talented, but if you have more talent, then the other playoff team, I think you're going to win the, the majority of the time. 
By the way, speaking of quarterbacks in other sports, I still vividly remember Kyler's rookie year in the first Cardinals full mini camp practice and after practice, Patrick Peterson in his locker and he shook his head. He said, man, these baseball quarterbacks are killing me. And he was in his name names. He said, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and now this kid. And he pointed across, across the locker room at, at Kyler Murray, who had busted out an array of different arm angles during that first mini camp practice and was completing passes on everyone, including Patrick Peterson. I bring that up because, Darren, uh, do you need to talk us down here about maybe our concern level with Kyler and baseball that seemed to be a popular theme and line of questioning for Kyler, and he didn't exactly avoid the subject of baseball? No, I mean, Kyler's doing a bunch of Super Bowl-related sponsorship interviews this week, and I know Kyle is hoping that Kyler can eventually uh, be that stud center fielder that the Cubs need so badly. <laughs> but, you know, look, Kyler still loves the sport. Uh, Pat McAfee asked him on a show the other day uh, if he basically has disavowed the sport now that he's all in the NFL. And he basically said no, because he goes, I've done both my whole life. I didn't need to like for completely forget about baseball to be an elite quarterback. And, um, and then McPhee asked if he would like to do both. And Kyler was like, yeah, I'd love to do both. Now, he did say it would be really hard to uh, uh, do it as a quarterback. And I do think there's a lot more involved if you're a quarterback than, let's say, if you're Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson, you're an outfielder and a running back or a defensive back. But um, but it was funny. <laughs> At one point, Kyler said something like, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but it would be good for everybody. And I'm thinking – I don't know if it would be good for everybody. I think it would be good for you because that's something you really want to do. I don't know if it would be good for everybody. Uh, I just, I, I, I still think back to what we lost with Bo Jackson because of his injury playing for the Raiders. And it not only screwed up what, what could have been a great NFL career, but it screwed up what was a really good baseball career. And we just were robbed of him. And I, I would just hate to see Kyler get hurt in one way, shape, or form trying to do all these different things. I, I, I personally think you need to concentrate on one, and uh, I think it's great that he was able to do it. He did admit, I will say this, Paul, he admitted it was the hardest decision he's ever had to make to, to basically forego baseball to come to once he was going into the draft. But he admitted the reason it was the hardest decision wasn't because it was so hard to give up baseball, but because he had already – told the A's he was going to play for him and he basically had to go back on his word. So I'll give him that. That's uh, I think that's a good reason to call it a really hard decision. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with potentially playing for Kyle's Cubs. I mean, it has everything to do with my childhood team, the Oakland A's. So, you know, that was part of the, <laughs> that's what made it the degree of difficulty as well. Here's the thing. Okay. Dion and Bo Jackson and what they did was remarkable, but in today's game to think that he could be an effective hitter, against the seventh guy in the bullpen who's going to come up and throw 98-99. Just the level of pitching in today's game and the sort of gas and velocity these guys throw now and to think that you can spend more than half a year on another sport and still be an effective hitter in a major league batting box, I I just don't – I don't see that happening. To me, that's just not feasible or realistic. Yeah, I think he's got all the natural tools in the world, and that's why he was a top 10 – baseball pick which is amazing even now thinking back to be number one in football and top 10 in baseball but 
he's raw. I mean, he, he had a good season in college, one good season the year before he didn't play that well. It was all tools and all natural ability. And when you stunt your growth for this long, I mean, Kyler Murray needed the at-bats in the minor leagues and rookie ball and single A and double A and just grinding for three or four or five years for that talent to really come out. And I think he could play center field because he's super fast. And obviously he's got the arm to play defense and he could steal bases, but I agree with you, Paul. I think it's too much to ask for somebody to come straight off the football field and be an everyday player in Major League Baseball. So I don't think it's super realistic. And you can understand why he wants to try. I mean, Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson are are well known to this day because of doing that. As good as Deion Sanders is as football, a lot of people remember him because he was a two-way star. Um, so I, I see why there's that kind of that itch that he wants to scratch, but I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think he could be a major league baseball player with all this time missed. When Kyler says it'd be good for everybody, maybe he's talking about his marketing team. He's probably talking about team Kyler because, you know, <laughs> there's no doubt. There's no doubt he would elevate his personal brand. If he was playing two sports in 2000, in the 2020s, that, that would be something. No, no doubt about that. Um, I, I tell you though, um, the biggest, one of the biggest losses honestly, of 2020 in the pandemic was the fact we didn't have the Larry Fitzgerald charity softball game because who did not want to see Kyler Murray swing in the softball game? Come on. I wanted to see a 500-foot jack from Kyler Murray swinging the lumber in the Larry uh, softball game. We were robbed of that because of the pandemic. Yeah, did he have well, to check I mean... his contract <laughs> to see if he's allowed to play? This, isn't, this is softball, not baseball, so I'm allowed to do it. Hey, I remember asking him, uh, was a fr- he had arrived in town after the draft and the first interview I did with him, I said, and making small talk before the cameras rolled. And I just said, hey, you got a couple of guys on this team who play some pretty good golf. You're going to go out with uh, Pat P and Larry and Larry playing some golf. He's all, no, I don't play. I said, really? You don't? You don't? He said, no, my dad never let me swing a golf club. He said to mess up my baseball swing. That's when you know a guy's pretty serious about baseball. That's so, a commitment there, Paul. Yeah, it is. There's no doubt about it. Where does Kyler rank? Just for that, Darren, the little snark in there. I'm going to throw this at you. Where does Kyler rank right now in the power poll of NFC West quarterbacks here in real time? Go. Well, I'm, I'm not going to put him ahead of Russell Wilson at this point, but I'm, I'm still going to have him number two, even with Matthew Stafford in the, uh, in the division now. Uh, I would say Kyler's number two. I'd probably put Stafford three, and right now Jimmy Garoppolo four. But, you know, things can change, Paul, I suppose. But uh, – I, I still I still very much like the upside of Kyler Murray. How about the Rams tweet, by the way, speaking of baseball, and then I'll get off baseball. When they tweeted at Clayton Kershaw, have you heard from an old friend today? Question mark. <laughs> because they can't officially, officially announce it until March 17th. And nothing's so true. We all know because based on the DeAndre Hopkins a year ago, right? It's it's not official until the league year starts, but how about that? He already has a house, uh, what, in Newport Coast, south of L.A., Orange County. So, man, it's moving ready. He's ready to go. Matthew Stafford, uh, welcome to the NFC West. Paul, I was ready to report you to Old Takes Exposed last week when I listened to the podcast while I was on vacation. And then you came around and you said, well, the only way Jared Goff is traded is if he goes to the Lions. I was like, oh, that turned out pretty well because I was, I was ready to jump on you, Paul. Well, think, think about what both teams now have to endure in terms of the dead cap hit, right? 
So whereas I, I struck a chord with that one, perhaps, Kyle, Darren later proved me very, very wrong on the Matt Ryan speculation because his dead cap hit is like 40 million plus, is it not, Darren? So when I was speculating, if maybe I recall Ryan correctly, yeah. might go to the Niners re reunited with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Darren threw some serious cold water on that. I, I'm just I'm just excited that uh, Kyle decided to listen to the podcast on a week that he wasn't there. I mean, that's that's big time. I mean, uh, maybe we shouldn't have insulted him as much as we did. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I listened to it right before recording this one. <laughs> I was replaying in my mind how many shots did we take at Kyle? So maybe I just need to move, move it along right here. Uh, you know, I was very disappointed because you guys are like, no, they're not trading golf. And then somehow Paul saved himself a couple <laughs> minutes later with like, okay, there's one scenario. Well, let me just say this as someone we all as family members are from Motown. So I've followed the Lions my entire life, whether I like to or not. I covered the Lions for two years when Barry Sanders was there in the early to mid 90s. I would say other than Barry Sanders, it's the first time in half a century where I've said to myself, man, the Lions front office crushed it. That's the, I mean, honestly, when have those words ever been said before? And you're nodding, Kyle. So I didn't know if you agreed with that or not, but just give me your take on, on, on the winners and losers in this trade. I certainly like it for Detroit because I think it's interesting. Like usually a first round pick in the next season is devalued. Like it's not worth as much as a first round pick this year. But if you look at them, I think of it as a rebuilding stage for Detroit. So having a first round pick next season, it probably makes more sense than this year because that means your rookie deal is just going to extend one year further. So I really like the deal for the Lions I'm very on the fence for the Rams. I, I obviously value first round picks more than Les Snead does. He trades them away like he gives away candy at Halloween. Uh, but I think they're obviously going for it. And Matthew Stafford is a athletic upgrade from Jared Goff. Can Sean McVay tap that really well? And is he going to be a star quarterback? I mean, was is Jared Goff below average like we talked about a couple weeks ago and McVay brought him up to being decent at times? And can McVay raise Stafford's game even more? Or are these guys more similar than we think? So I think it's a, a very intriguing question. When you look at the Rams, they put a lot of eggs in the basket for the next two years or so. And then a lot of their stars are going to be older and it's going to be a little bit dicey. So I personally would not have done this trade if I was Los Angeles, but you can see why. They're really trying to maximize these next couple seasons. I can, uh, and I understand that. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to is, you know, you see what Jared Goff could give you at times, but you saw what he couldn't give you at times. Uh, in fact, going all the way back to the Super Bowl loss and that obviously frustrated Sean McVay. Uh, the interesting part to me uh, in a lot of ways is those first round picks. I agree. Look, I, 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 I'm somebody who's kind of come around a little bit more where it's like, okay, I think, I feel like I'm somebody who used to value picks more than maybe they should be. I mean, to be able to get a known commodity rather than taking a, a, a swing at something that may or may not be good, you know, especially when you look at how many first round picks wash out uh, and don't really ever do anything. Um, I, I think I've, I've, I've wavered on that, but, uh, and I, I don't love giving, uh, Mike Florio, a lot of credit a lot of the times, but he just tweeted out something while we were recording and basically says, you know, everybody, 
saying, you know, it's a crap shoot in the first round and everything, but if you don't shoot craps, you don't, and you're the Rams, you never get Aaron Donald and they're not going to have the chance over a seven year period to draft an Aaron Donald who they got what 13th. I think he was. Um, it wasn't like it was a top five pick. It was going to be in the range of where the Cardinals are picking. So, you know, you, you can get some great players. Now you can get great players in the second and third round too. And that's part of the crapshoot part of it, but it, it's just a hard balance. And I agree with Kyle. I don't know how much different Matthew Stafford really is. It reminds me a little bit of, of what everybody went into this year saying, okay, was it Belichick or was it Brady? What, what was behind the success? Now we're going to see, was it, was it the Lions dragging Stafford down or Stafford just not good enough to take the Lions anywhere? And, and we're going to know because the way the Rams made this trade and the way the Rams are built right now, they should be a 12 or 13 win team if, if Matthew Stafford is really that guy. And if they win 10 games again, did, did he really elevate them? And the, the problem the Rams have is, you know, again, you're, you're going to have to do some things with uh, the contract, and I understand golf had a big contract anyways, but because you're not getting the, the younger players through the draft, you've got older players and it raises the cap in small increments, but we all know that cap is dropping pretty significantly this year. Yeah, the Lions defense allowed 519 points last year and over 6,700 total yards. That broke the marks of futility set by their winless team 2008. That's how bad that defense was. Some of the worst defensive metrics ever in the history of the league. So once again, were the Lions holding back Stafford? Was Goff holding back the Rams? Keep in mind, his first two years, the Rams ranked first in points his first year, 2017. And they ranked second in points, 2018. So Sean McVay was able to leverage uh, Jared Goff's talent there. Now, I would agree over the last year plus, not only has he been a turnover machine, number two overall in turnovers, 38 turnovers the last two years, but that Rams passing game has turned into a lot of dink and dunk. The chunk throw has been missing. I think Matthew Stafford automatically is a significant upgrade there. I think they restore the, ch the chunk game. But to hear Dan Orlovsky on ESPN go off and, and, and say, as a former teammate of Matthew Stafford's now, albeit, Quote, I expect an Aaron Rodgers type 2020 season for Matthew Stafford with that top defense and a real run game. So if you're talking about 48 touchdowns and five picks or somewhere in the neighborhood thereof, and the Rams have that defense, look out. They will be in the Super Bowl if that's the sort of season they get out of Matthew Stafford. Yeah, and they're not, I mean, they're not going to get that out of Matthew Stafford. I also saw that he he said that they're the new favorites for next season to win the Super Bowl. Like obviously the chiefs are still a better team than the Rams. Even if you add Matt Stafford, it's not like it is Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson. Matthew Stafford has been above average for his career, but he's never been known as that star quarterback alongside these other superstars. And I think it would be a big leap for him to all of a sudden do that at, at 33 years old. So I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I also wonder are you, are they going to regress defensively at all? Like this, obviously you have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, and those are two great players, but defense is notoriously volatile from one season to the next. When, even if you have a lot of similar players, your efficiency just goes up and down, depending on who you play, depending on 
the way things happen, injuries. I mean, you can't rely on a defense to be dominant season after season. So I think Matthew Stafford is going to have to reach that top three, top five quarterback level for them to truly be the favorites in the NFC. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Keep in mind, the Rams lost their defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, obviously now the head coach of the Chargers. You're talking about a defense that was number one in points and yards and first downs allowed, touchdowns allowed, passing defense. I mean, they were number one in every category that counted. So you got, you're right, Kyle, to expect them to replicate that two years in a row, it's not realistic. It just isn't. But is Matthew Stafford that kind of guy who can elevate players around him? He obviously never did it with the Lions. Now, they didn't make the playoffs three times, and Jim Caldwell was, you know, and then they moved on from the head coach who helped them make the playoffs, which is a major milestone in Lions history. Uh, they have, what, one playoff win since 1957. Everybody now, and Bobby Lane winning the NFL championship. So I love that team. Yes, but, you know, think about this. The last time we saw Matthew Stafford, guys, was week three, and it was a fourth quarter where he led the Lions to victory. At State Farm Stadium, he went 10 of 13 in that fourth quarter for a buck 44, and he led the game-winning drive from the nine-yard line with under five minutes to go, remember, to set up the Prater game-winning field goal with zeros on the clock. So the last time the Cardinals saw Matthew Stafford, he was engineering a game-winning drive. And then afterwards, I still remember the quote, him saying something along the lines of, well, if it wasn't for the turnovers by the offense because our defense was excellent, uh, we should have put 40 up on the board against the Cardinals. So, look – to me, as much as I'm a fan of Jared Goff, and I have been, and I've been a defender of him, there's no question in my mind the Rams just made a significant upgrade and really the one area that they needed because the one thing that killed him a year ago was the guy who Sean McVay actually publicly criticized, and that's where we knew it started to go off the rails. Well, and I was Brad Holmes, Darren, Brad Holmes, who went from the Rams to the Lions front office to be GM, he must have known how much Sean McVay wanted out from under that quarterback head coach relationship and leveraged it to the point of that sort of a lopsided deal. At least that was my initial takeaway when I saw that. Well, the, the one good thing is that the, because the Cardinals play the Lions on a yearly basis to the point that you would think they'd be in the same division, they've seen a lot of Matthew Stafford. So they're going to have an idea of what he's going to bring to the table. And let's face it. I mean, the way it's quite gone for the, the, uh, Cardinals against Jared Goff, quite frankly, it's probably good for the Cardinals that he's gone. I mean, he's diced them up. I, I forget what, what he's done against other teams. I mean, he has been awesome against the Cardinals most of the time. So, um, you know, the one time, <laughs> the one time the Cardinals defense was able to hang in there since McVay took over as coach, uh, John Walford was the quarterback. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're the Cardinals that really could get, much worse quite frankly facing Matthew Stafford well and there's also the reasons you know the Lions got that sort of compensation with the picks and the players because they took on Goff's contract obviously but I heard someone else make the point that well what if what if Matthew Stafford is the only quarterback who ends up on the trade market this offseason for all the speculation about all the different quarterbacks how the Texans really going to make the mistake of divesting themselves from Deshaun Watson as broken as it might appear from the outside looking in. I mean, Kyle, Matthew Stafford might be the only guy who ends up getting traded in the offseason. Thus, he commanded that sort of price. Yeah, I think you have to pay a king's ransom if you believe that a quarterback can take you a notch higher and be Super Bowl contenders. So 
you understand certainly the thought process to what the Rams are doing. And Aaron Donald, I think, is 30 years old or so. And as much of a freak as he is, I mean, once he gets two or three years down the line, you figure those skills are going to start waning a little bit. And you want to take advantage of his prime, of Jalen Ramsey's prime. So you you needed to try to win now. And if you didn't feel like Jared Goff could do it, that's why they made this trade. But it goes back to what you're saying. There's The, the supply and demand at quarterback is always – wacky so did they talk themselves into Matthew Stafford a little bit or did they say we think he's a star that he just was brought down for a decade by bad surroundings so it's a gamble for sure and and they believe in him but I agree with you if there were 10 different quarterbacks and the Rams could have picked and choose on what offers they wanted to do maybe it looks different but clearly Matthew Stafford is one of the few veteran signal callers that was going to be available and they pounced on it and speaking of other quarterbacks potentially in the trade market you see where Peter King reported that the interest in Stafford was significant Carolina, the Colts, the Broncos, and pause for effect, the 49ers. So what about a scenario where the 49ers are the ones who make the most serious run at a Deshaun Watson, considering Nick Casario, the new GM, was the former executive with the Patriots and a guy who's very instrumental in, wait for it, drafting Jimmy G. And so maybe Jimmy G goes to the Texans. They try and instill that Belichick-type culture, and who's better than a guy who knows that inside out like a Jimmy G? And that's the beginning of the formation of a trade to Sean Watson (laughs) coming into the NFC West. Darren? Why, why, if you're the Texans, why would you trade for the contract of Jimmy Garoppolo, which is way overpriced right now? I mean, that that makes no sense to me. Um, and if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, you're not taking any kind of pay cut. You're going to, you'd rather be on the open market. So I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a piece. Now, if you're the 49ers and somehow you could acquire Deshaun Watson without Jimmy Garoppolo being a part of it, and then you could just cut him, which you can given his contract, uh, situation, then that makes more sense. But I don't, I mean, if I'm, if I'm the 49ers, I don't know if I'm the Texans, I don't know what I'm getting there. I mean, the 49ers are picking quite high enough to get the best quarterback, obviously. Um, if you're, if you're the Texans, are you taking, you know, I, I've seen reports where they want multiple draft picks and maybe two young defensive players. I mean, if you're the 49ers, is Deshaun Watson worth Joey Bosa and Fred Warner? Uh, you know, wow. I, yeah, yeah that's, the heart, exactly. that's the heart of your defense right there. Nick Bosa exactly. and Fred but Warner, like, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, or, and it's Nick Bosa. It wouldn't be Joe and Bosa. Sorry, Chargers fans. Um, but I mean, I, I just, I don't know if they've got, when I hear deals for Watson, that's why the Dolphins and the Jets just seem so much, make more, so much sense because they've got the picks and they've got a young quarterback that can send the other way that, Texans can either work with or they can go in a different direction, but they've got decent contracts and, and there's still some upside there. I, I just, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy and especially not for whatever he's making $25 million a year in his current deal. I just wonder if the Texans are dead set on sending him to the NFC. Do you really, do you really want to keep him in the AFC? Uh, and you look at what Kyle Shanahan has done with 
below average quarterbacks for years. I'm constantly amazed seeing them twice a year, the things he dials up. And a lot of times they have just not been able to execute it with Jimmy G and Mullins and CJ Beathard. Can you imagine Deshaun Watson at quarterback with the type of run game that they have? And now you add a mobile quarterback to that. I mean, it would be borderline unstoppable. And that's why it is scary. Like they do have the assets. They could say, Here's Nick Boza and Fred Warner in our first round pick. That's attractive to me if I'm the Texans, where you talk about two of the best defenders in the NFL at their position, plus a pick or two. I mean, if the Niners wanted to do it, I think they have the capital to do it. Um, but it's it's a huge decision on both sides. I mean, you're blowing up one of the best defenses in the NFL for a great quarterback. So I think... I think if you can get to Sean Watson, you give up those pieces to do it because him in San Fran would be a nightmare. Um, but it would take some gravitas certainly to, to pull that off. I, I would agree, Paul, that if I'm the Texans, I, if I'm, if I'm going to trade Deshaun Watson, I want him in the NFC. There's no, that would be my first choice. And if, if the 49ers were willing to offer me, uh, you know, uh, to me, if you give me those two defensive players, and which I don't think they would be willing to give up both of them, but if you give me those two defensive players at first and maybe a second next year or whatever, I might pull the, 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 the trigger on that. But you're also talking about the 49ers being a team that just got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and because of that coaching staff and their defense. And as unfortunately, as great as Watson is, and he is great, we also saw what happens if you put, you know, as great as he was, that he won four games because you do need other things around him. And, and do you weaken yourself too much? It, it's really tough uh, at this point for any of these teams. And, and don't get me wrong. I, 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 we talk about power rankings. If Deshaun Watson ends up in San Francisco, that changes the equation quite a bit in terms of the power rankings in this division. Well, and the Niners just played a whole season, almost 15 and a half games without Nick Bosa. So, you know, they, they do have talent on that defensive front still after losing to Forrest Buckner. But yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm much more in favor of seeing the Kirk Cousins trade rumors to the 49ers than to Sean Watson. Put it that way. The, the reunion of, of Kirk Cousins with Kyle Shanahan, his former OC in Washington, I, I was much more pleasing to the eye than the prospect of Sean Watson coming to the division. Watson, Wilson, Murray in the same division, that would that would be unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you're not even including Stafford at this point, who's still a pretty good quarterback. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, oh, my gosh. That really, I mean, the TV networks, if they had a 17th, if they had the 17th game, they'd just make it a division game from the NFC West. Just get more of those. I mean, seriously, just get more of the NFC West QBs on national TV. So what do you think about some of – speaking of these reports that are out, and of course, it's another week, another mock draft. Where do we start? We start with Travis Etienne, right? That's where we started. Travis Etienne supposedly coming to the Cardinals at number 16. The latest, Bucky Brooks, NFL.com. And look, I, I do not just gloss over a Bucky Brooks mock draft. Here's a guy who has a history and personnel, and, and I do look at it, and I, I read through the whole entire first round. It's the first so, week of February, Paul. It's the when, first he has, week of February. when he has the Heisman winner going to the Cardinals at number 16, Devonte Smith, Kyle, your reaction is That's what I'm talking about. No more running backs or inside linebackers. Finally, a position that I want to talk about. That yeah, hurts. I mean, <laughs> the, the Cardinals have a hole at 
the wide receiver and I mean, Devonte Smith to me would be a naturally perfect fit. I think they would be extremely excited if he was there at 16. I mean, we'll see what happens in free agency. Maybe you sign that, that wide receiver and, and you don't need one, but at this moment, I think it's a glaring hole and, and he would fit it. So I, I think, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It feels like there have been these premium positions, quarterback, corner, edge rusher, offensive tackle, but I think wide receivers right there too. It's such a passing league. We saw this season that when the Cardinals didn't have a second wide receiver, their offense bogged down. And I think it's important to have these different weapons. And that to me, that and cornerback are the big two heading into the off season. So yeah, I think a wide receiver at 16 and one that good would be a really nice pull for the Cardinals. Yeah. I retweeted that out and you know, all, all these, all these mock draft experts out there at me, you know, uh, at Paul Calvisi, by the way. And they're letting me have it because they're saying there's no way he's going to be there at 16. Yeah. Um, hello. How often, how much time do we spend last year talking about CeeDee Lamb being top 10? And would he even be there at number eight for the Cardinals? And he went 17 to the Cowboys. So let's not dismiss the possibility of the very real possibility of the Heisman winner being there, especially when his measurables aren't going to be that impressive, obviously. He's so slight. I know they list him at 6'1". Is he truly 6'1"? To me, you see him, he doesn't appear to be, he appears to be about 5'11 or so. I don't know. We'll see. I'm very curious. I'm not into the whole measurables of the combine and the hand size, but that is one kid I want to see and see what the tail of the tape says on that one. And who knows? I don't know what his 40 is going to be, but with the measurables, I, I think he will be there at 16, or at least there's a good shot at it, and the Cardinals might have that decision to make. Well, I mean... I I like the idea of adding a wide receiver. He is a incredible talent. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I wish he was had about 20 more pounds on him um, because you are talking about an outside guy and not a, not a huge outside guy and not a guy who, as you said, with the measurable speed that Henry Ruggs might have, or even Andy Isabella. So, but he's proven himself on a big stage multiple times and he's been pretty amazing. So uh, and at 16, that's a pick that makes sense to me. You know, would I do it at eight? I don't know, like last year, but uh, 16 does make sense. Now, again, like Kyle said, the question becomes what happens in, in, in free agency. And what's really fascinating to me this year is what does the market look like in free agency, not with the guys with expiring contracts necessarily, but with the guys that may or may not be released for cap purposes, which I assume will come right around, right before free agency starts, because you're going to want to clear cap room to sign other guys or guys you might need or whatever it is. Could there be somebody on the market that makes sense that you can get for a bargain that would change the course of what you might do in the draft? And I, I think that's that's the big wild card. Now, maybe nothing happens. Maybe maybe we're misinterpreting what, how it might impact the free agent market, or maybe these cuts are going to come later or whatever it might be. But there could be some talented players that are out there on the street and, and maybe not everybody that somebody that everybody's always going to know, but the personnel departments know uh, that might be available that make a lot of sense to, to fill, whether it be wide receiver or anything else. Well, then you have to gauge what exactly is a Cardinals need at receiver, right? So we pose the question again here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. What is the deal with Larry? We're into February. <laughs> now, we are recording this 
uh, hours before the Phoenix Open Pro-Am. So there's an opportunity for Larry to be interviewed, or maybe not. I'm not sure. What is the media accessibility to the Pro-Am this year, considering the pandemic? Is he going to have to face the reporters and the microphones? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I know we couldn't get uh, just a day pass for the media access. I know there'll be reporters, but whether he talks or not, I don't know. If I'm him, I'm taking a pass, and I'm sure they would let him take a pass. I certainly wouldn't expect him to say anything other than, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it or whatever it is. I, Larry Fitzgerald's not the guy to sit at the golf course and say in front of a few cameras, yeah, I've decided to do this or I've decided to do that. I, I certainly don't expect the decision. If I'm Larry, I just cite social distancing and I keep walking. Just a nice, <laughs> a nice golf clap and a wave and just keep on walking and just make my way to my cart. That's what I expect. Put it that way. Um, it is interesting that we're still kind of waiting on that. I mean, yeah, we are talking about a lot of different scenarios. And like you said, Paul, I mean, if, if Larry decides to come back, that certainly might change your thought process for at least free agency. Like, I don't know if it, it changes much for the draft because I think, you know, your Larry is on a year to year basis and you and Christian Kirk is going into his last year of his deal next season. So long-term you have some questions at wide receiver. So I think drafting a wide receiver wouldn't be an issue. Like you're, you're going to need one at some point in these next few years, whether it's immediate or next season, I don't know yet, but free agency is a different animal because if Larry wants to come back, that's going to take a chunk of the cap. You still have Hopkins, you still have Kirk, you still have Isabella. So then maybe you're not as much in the market for a wide receiver in free agency. Fitz isn't going to make any decisions the Super Bowl week anyways. He, he, he wouldn't step on the Super Bowl like that. Yeah. That's, you know, or he'd wait till he's actually in Tampa if he's going this year. And, uh, you know, uh, if, if, he, if he's going to make a public announcement, then he would use the Super Bowl media and that platform, with all due respect to the Phoenix Open and the local media, uh, as opposed to. But you're right, Darren. It's going to be a nondescript day in the offseason where if indeed he decides to walk away, It'll probably be a link tweeted out to a Players Tribune uh, article, correct? Uh, you know, I, I expect something like that. It's funny that you bring it up because, uh, and I know we're trying to wrap things up here, but um, one of the Super Bowls I covered uh, when I was a, a beat writer for the East Valley Tribune, um, Emmett Smith announced his retirement at the Super Bowl. Super Bowl week, he actually had a ballroom that all came together in the matter of a day or so. And it was packed in there so that all the media of the world was there to, to cover it. And I, I, I was lucky enough to be at the Super Bowl, So I was able to cover it live. And uh, you know, obviously it was a very Dallas cowboy tinge thing. Although the one thing I do remember tremendously with Emmett was uh, him making a line that uh, his young son was so young that hadn't, he had no memories of the Cowboys. So his young son was a giant Cardinals fan. And, you know, Jerry Jones is sitting up there on the days with, uh, with Emmett and there's a cowboy helmet and Emmett was gracious. And he was sure he, he thinked, first of all, he thinked, I think everybody he ever played with was around in football names even. Um, but he did not forget the Cardinals or all the people involved. I thought that was very cool of him, but uh, definitely had a, a cowboy tint to it. Well, when you can announce your retirement to like 87 different countries who are there covering the Super Bowl, you know, you got to you got to take advantage of that moment. Sure. You know, that global coverage. Potential. Emmett's not not a stupid man. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm still sticking since I'm on a roll, Kyle, and I'm glad you cited it. 
I single-handedly looked into my crystal football and called the Matthew Stafford trade, Jared Goff to the Lions and, and Stafford to, to LA. Uh, I'm just going to reiterate what I've been saying since basically Thanksgiving. Cardinals go corner in round one, edge rusher in round two, receiver in round three. So we can go ahead and mark that here on uh, you know this, this first week of February, and we'll come back to that in about two and a half months. So why do you think they need an edge rusher? Well, the whole Chandler Jones last year of his contract, what exactly happens with Hassan Reddick? Uh, somebody make a stupid uh, offer out there for Hassan Reddick, you know, the Olivier Vernon type offer for Hassan Reddick. Um, I'm not so uh, confident that he's going to be back in a Cardinals uniform. Love to have him back long-term. There's no doubt about it. So then where, what are you looking at? Marcus Golden is a free agent. I mean, that is not only a critical position they use high in the draft per the Steve Kime philosophy, but all of a sudden that's a position of dire need, is it not? Yeah, I guess we'll see how the dominoes drop. I mean, that, that all makes sense if, if they get to that point. And yeah, I think Reddick is the big question. If you, if you sign him to a couple year deal, he's in the prime and you don't have to worry about it as much, but you're right. If, if he leaves, if Chandler Jones is on the last year of his deal, if Marcus Golden is only signed to one or two years, then it does make sense. But I think, as of now, I would put wide out in, in corner a lot higher than edge rusher. Darren, you, you want to be, you know, argumentative just for the sake of being argumentative here and get one, one last, you know, shot in and anyone for any reason here as we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground <laughs> brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, I, I really appreciate the offer, Paul. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you never so did I'm, answer the question about I, your, your pregame meal. We're that's coming what I was thinking circle. about the meal. What exactly you know, is it? You're a Super Bowl winner. You get the ring. And what's on your plate? Some, some, you know, a, a, a good, uh, some sushi. I think, I, I think a nice a trip to the sushi bar would be, you know, a, a high class sushi bar would be really good. I think that would be okay. quality. I'll take, I take, I'll take Mike Helm with me. We'll have some sake and enjoy ourselves. That's good. He'll select which tool song to play, Mike Helm. So you'll be all set. <laughs> that, that, that's the perfect, that's the perfect accompaniment for any plate of sushi. And that's this edition of Cardinals Underground.